Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome back to Basketball Conference, the ACC football podcast. My name is Joey Weaver. He is Mike McDaniel. Mike, the team preview series rolls on. We're heading to Winston-Salem. We're talking about the Steeman Deeks tonight, uh, our, you know, our beloved favorites uh, in the Atlantic Division. Mike, we got a great guest on, new to the podcast, uh, going to talk to us about the Demon Deeks tonight. You want to tell us about him? Yeah, definitely. Uh, we got Connor O'Neill on from the Winston-Salem Journal, uh, beat writer and reporter uh, for that publication. Connor, what's going on? Not much. Uh, just excited to talk some football. It's been a long summer that's dragged on and on. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, Connor, appreciate you joining us here. Looking forward to talking a little bit of Wake Forest here tonight. Um, wanted to start, we've been starting a lot with the coaching staffs um, and, and kind of just looking at where things stand with them. We're, we're going to get into the defensive staff in particular here in a little bit, but um, just talking about Dave Clawson, one of the things that we've we've talked a good bit about here in the, in the past year or so on, on the podcast is kind of how long Clawson is for this job. And, and more so, you know, him looking around to go elsewhere versus um, Wake Forest looking to get rid of him. And in particular, I mean, Clawson, this is, I think, now his longest tenure as a head coach anywhere. Um, he's had stops at several other places that are relatively short. You know, they're about four to five year stints and then he moves on. Um, and just knowing that his name has kind of come up in a couple of coaching searches recently, but also not really knowing realistically, like, who would hire him away? What's a good match for him in, in another program. So wanted to get your, your take or your insights on realistically, how long do we expect Dave Clawson to continue to be at Wake Forest? And is there a kind of job that, you know, he's been brought up for that, you know, we think he would legitimately be a, a contended, you know, a contending candidate to be hired for. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. You say he's, he's never, um, never been in a position for for this long because this is it's it's funny he's been at uh wake forest bowling green and fordham all for five years and now this is the first time he's ever going into a sixth year in a program um that's something i actually want to catch up with him about at some point this fall but you know he came up for his his name surfaced uh, there was never any communication as far as I'm aware of it. His name surfaced with the West Virginia job that opened up when Dan Holgerson went to Houston. And my initial reaction was there is no way Dave Blossom would ever coach at West Virginia. There's no way he would ever coach at a school where uh, the basically where, where you can get anybody in that you want. Um, and that's, you know, maybe, maybe that's, a wrong view. I've only known Dave for two to three years since I've been on the beat, but Dave loves the fact that Wake kids are not just athletes who are there to coast through school and, and get to the NFL. He wants kids that are smart. He wants to recruit the kids that are smart and he wants to have an intricate offensive system and defensive systems to where his kids can understand and process it. Um, so that's why that's why Wake fits him and fits what he wants to do. Um, the the hiring of John Curry as athletics director, I think the person at Wake Forest that benefits the most from that is Dave Lawson because those two have known each other since the uh, 2008 football season when Dave went to Tennessee to be Phil Fulmer's offensive coordinator. John Curry was the associate athletic director, I think was his title, and was with the football program. So those two have had an 11-year relationship. They know each other very well. And here comes John Curry and, you know, uh, it was actually done when Ron Wellman was still the AD, but you'd you'd be hard-pressed to think that John Curry didn't have a lot to do with uh, the extension that Dave signed in the spring through 2026. So it's, you never want to say a guy who's in his early fifties is in a, is in the job that he's going to have for the rest of his career unless he gets fired. But I think it's a pretty safe situation with Dave, unless, you know, some SEC team comes calling to double or triple his salary. Then, you've probably got some decisions to make. Yeah, and I know his name surfaced 
Connor with with the Tennessee job after the whole Greg Schiano fiasco went down a couple years back. Um, that's a school that obviously he has previous ties to that could have thrown him a boatload of money. Um, of course, ended up going with ended up going with Jeremy Pruitt instead, but could have worked out there. Yeah, the Tennessee people. Uh, he he's a pariah in Tennessee. He's seen as one of the reasons that Phil Palmer's coaching career uh, fizzled. I mean, he was brought in as this head coach from Richmond, who you know you can you can look at it however way you want with the top FCS program or a top FBS program coordinator, but. Uh, yeah, he, he was there in Tennessee. They went 5-7. and seven. He was labeled as somebody that couldn't recruit because he had two three-star quarterbacks verbaled, and they were seen as, you know, these three-star quarterbacks aren't very good. Well, they ended up being uh, Bryce Petty and Taj Boyd. So, Whoops. Huh. Um, yeah. Uh, no, he, he – one job that he would never go to um, until there's a athletic director in Tennessee who is just tone deaf to that fan base. That that fan base and that program in particular seems like it is one of the most. Oh, I don't know what the word is, but there's a lot, a lot of like politics and kind of general. I think that program is only ever going to be so stable let's say with the fan base and the booster culture and some of the things that go on there. So I can definitely see how a, a significant raise might not be enough to, to lure him back there, especially if he's experienced that in the past and seen some backlash from things that, as you mentioned, ultimately made a lot of sense, but they just didn't look great on the rivals website or whatever coming in. Yeah. yeah. So, okay. Well, that's, that's interesting. I, we, we get used to this idea that a, a guy, you know, and he's going to a, a school like Wake Forest, it's, you know, admittedly a smaller school, a smaller program. They don't have as much money as a number of programs in the area, and especially among Power 5 teams, one of the smaller ones. And so I think we get used to seeing coaches go to situations like that, moving up from a Bowling Green or whatever, and then they do pretty well there, and it's on to the next one. But at the same time, it, it kind of seems like that might not be the case for Dave Claus, and he, he seems kind of happy, I guess, and he might just stick around here for a little while in Winston-Salem. Exactly. He, he seems happy now, and and the key will be become, will will become keeping him happy because you know it won't last. Just you're not going to satiate somebody as competitive as Dave just by going seven and six and eight and five every year and winning pre Christmas bowls. I mean, he he wants to see it rise. Um, you know, one of the biggest things is he wants to see people in the stands. And he wants to see people in the stands wearing Wake Forest colors. Uh, this past season was, I mean, it was it was kind of jarring to go to a Wake Forest home game against Notre Dame and against Clemson, and you've got probably sixty percent of the stadium is cheering when they're blowing out Wake Forest. So I think that tugs at him a little bit. I don't think it's enough to make him antsy to leave. But I think he wants to see progress sooner rather than later in getting some home field advantages going. Yeah, that's that's totally fair. Um, turning the page for 2019, Connor, offensively, specifically at the quarterback position, um, Sam Hartman, you know, first of all, let, let, let's back up a step. 2018, John Wolford comes out of essentially nowhere, right, and plays unbelievable football for Wake Forest. The offense was really humming there uh, a couple of years back. And then you head into the 2018 season, you're not really sure what to expect. You know, Sam Hartman comes in as a starting quarterback as a freshman and played pretty well at the outset, gets hurt, and Jamie Newman comes in, wins three out of his four starts in relief, uh, nine touchdowns to four interceptions there late in the year. And all of a sudden, it, it looks like there might be a quarterback controversy brewing there in Winston-Salem, or is Sam Hartman the guy and, you know, Jamie Newman, you know, despite playing well down the stretch last year, might just kind of go back to his role as a backup? No, there, there's definitely um, – Clawson wouldn't approve of this word, but it's definitely a – it's a controversy. They prefer the term competition. It's 
it's the same thing to me. Um, but no, those both of those guys battled last fall camp, and at that point, Sam had been at Wake Forest for eight months. He was an early enrollee, and Jamie had been at Wake Forest for two years and taken 22 snaps on the field. And we didn't really know much about any either one of them. We didn't know how they'd react in game situations. We didn't know, you know, could they handle a third and eight check? Could they pick up a, a call from the sideline when it meant something and that kind of thing? And, you know, you go through a season when you go seven and six, you win a ball game, and you also find out that not only can one of those guys do it, both of them can do it. And so now you go into the to fall camp this year saying, we know we're set at the quarterback position with either one of these guys. And now you, you know, you just kind of sit back and, and let the cream rise to the top. And whichever one of them it is, you know that they're going to, they're going to succeed in the role. They're going to, they're going to be, you know, one of the top quarterback situations in the ACC. You got, you got Trevor Lawrence at Clemson and you got Bryce Perkins at Virginia, but you'd be hard pressed to find any other quarterback situation in the league that's better than this. By the way, Connor, can we get your, your take real quick? Can you, can you settle this argument that Mike was having with some Virginia fans on, uh, on Twitter? <laughs> that Uh-oh. If you had to have one quarterback for your team and you could only have either Trevor Lawrence or Bryce Perkins, who would you prefer to have? Just making sure. Okay, so we're saying Trevor Lawrence is better than Bryce Perkins. <laughs> okay. Yes, that's what that's what I was thinking. Just making sure because some Virginia fans on Twitter did not agree with Mike on that one. Yeah. See, the Virginia fans they they can get testy. I uh, <laughs> I, two basketball seasons ago, I projected them to go five and thirteen in the league and. I had about a dozen people on Twitter tell me that I should be fired for that. <laughs> there, I, I don't, I, I don't think the video is online anymore. It's not on our website. There was a video of me, uh, eat proverbial, proverbially, uh, eating my words. And I had a, I had a printout with, you know, Virginia five and 13 and 11th place. And, Stuck that in some good North Carolina barbecue and chopped down on it. There you go. There you go. So that, that was that was my way to make amends. Ever since then, I've, I've kind of eased back on uh, pushing their buttons. <laughs> then again, what is Twitter for if not for telling people they should lose their jobs for sports takes? I, right. I don't know what else. What else you do with that with that platform? Um, Connor, the it was interesting to me, I guess, that, that they did kind of stick with Sam Hartman as long as they did last year because really it felt like when Jamie Newman came in and what he brought in the running game really kind of jump-started the offense a little bit. I, th- I felt like I saw an, an improvement offensively there mid-year when, when J- uh, Newman started seeing some more time. Um, looking at the rushing attack this year, Matt Colburn has to be replaced, but Cade Carney, the leading rusher, is coming back for his senior year. A um, couple guys to replace on the offensive line, but overall it, it seems like this is going to continue to be a team that runs the football really, really effectively. And I guess that yeah. probably stays the same regardless of which quarterback is playing. Yeah. One of the, uh, you know, I, I think probably the biggest uh, off season task for Sam Hartman was to gain weight. Um, I think he was listed on last season's roster at 180, and that might've been a, a little bit of a fib. I think he was probably at about 170. He's weighing in, uh, in the spring, he was weighing in over 200 pounds, and I think he's listed at 205 in the in the new roster that we got last week. Um, it's all that barbecue. Yeah, yeah. Well, the crazy thing is he's been he's lived in the Carolinas his whole life, so it's not like he shouldn't have already been eating it. <laughs> um, there was a crazy story there with him getting a, a mysterious illness and thyroid uh, virus that you know he about a month and a half before his junior season in high school he was down to like 130 pounds or 140 pounds and uh, he played the opener he was in he was in the hospital and a month and a half later he was on the field playing his junior season for the opener um, 
but Sam Sam's got a, a hell of a story. Um, but yeah, the the biggest thing for him in the off season was putting on more weight because there were too many times last year when he just he, he'd get hit with one arm and and it would if it didn't tackle him it staggered him enough to where the defense was able to rally to him and get him down and that's when you see that it's such a polar opposite when Jamie gets in there because Jamie's six four two forty you know there was one run in the Birmingham Bowl where he gets hit in the backfield and ends up running through about four arm tackles and running in for a 17-yard touchdown. And I just remember thinking, if Sam Hartman's in that play, it's a TFL. And, I, you know, it's just a different element with, with Jamie back there. But I think with Sam's improved weight gain, it'll it'll be less of a gap. Um, and then, like you mentioned, with Kate Carney, I mean, Kate Carney ran for 1,000 yards last year. It was the first 1,000-yard season for a Wake player since Chris Barkley in 2005 when he was the ACC Player of the Year. So he'll be back. Um, they really like Christian Beal-Smith. He's a kid that is a redshirt sophomore, and he, he would have gotten more time if – Matt Colburn and Kate Carney weren't so potent last year, but there really wasn't much of a chance to get Christian in there. But they love him as an explosive number two runner. Um, and and yes, about the offensive line, uh, so they're replacing three senior starters, um, all of the interior positions. And they feel really good about center. They feel really good about right guard because Nathan Gilliam, who played out at right tackle last year, moves back to right guard, and he's a better guard than he is a tackle. So there really just be a a fall camp battle for who starts at left guard. And those are big shoes to fill with Phil Haynes. Uh, He was a four-year starter, fourth-round pick of the Seahawks, and he was a, he's kind of the poster child for Wake being a developmental program. He came in as a, you know, 250-pound defensive lineman and got turned into a fourth-round pick as an offensive lineman five years later. So you're losing, like, like you mentioned, you know, losing Matt Colburn. You still have Cade Carney. Um, you mentioned the differences in the running ability of the two quarterbacks and, you know, the issues that are, are left up front with um, the losses that they have on the offensive line. But let's talk about receiver for a second. Scotty Washington's back, Sage Surratt's back, um, Kendall Hinton moving to receiver, but you lose Greg Dorsch. Um, you lose Alex Bachman. What what are the expectations out of the receiving core heading into the year? And how do you envision Kendall Hinton's role um, switching, of course, from his old quarterback position now to more of a slot receiver role? Yeah, um, I mean, that that change with Kendall started to happen last fall camp because they, they knew since he was going to be suspended for the first three games of the year that getting, getting him quarterback reps wasn't going to help him. And their thought process then was if Jamie or Sam show that they can step up and play quarterback, then we're not going to have Kendall come in in game four and – take the reins back so Kendall's been working in the slot for a while Uh, he really wasn't able to stay healthy last season and didn't really take to being a slot receiver until he was fully healthy and that didn't happen until the ball practices and then all of a sudden when Greg Dortch was out with a hand injury there's Kendall Hinton zipping around in the slot and he proves to be you know, you don't want to say anybody is just as good or just as elusive as an All-American, but it's not a far drop-off for having the ball in their hands in the open space between Greg and Kendall. And so they're hoping they can keep Kendall healthy and and still be able to run their offense through the slot because that is a position that is paramount to success for what Wake wants to do with the RPO. So they, they're really excited about Kendall. Uh, it always comes with a caveat of him staying healthy because 
he has never been able to stay healthy for a full season at Wake Forest, uh, other than maybe the 2017 season, which was when John Walford was second team All ACC. Um, as far as the other receiver spots, they they like their depth. I think it's it's really really important for Scotty Washington to come back healthy and come back to where he was in 2017. I think he had 45 catches for about 700 yards and, and four touchdowns. Um, he got hurt about a week and a half into fall camp last year, and he just never seemed to be himself all year. Um, and he's he's got all the, all the tools you want in a big, ACC possession receiver. He's 6'5", 225. He's got great hands. I mean, he's, he's just a physical specimen. Um, and to put him on the outside and put Sage Stratt on the other with Sage's 6'2", and, and looks like a breakout candidate in the league, um, that's a potent duo. And then they like their depth with Stephen Claude as a redshirt senior. Uh, Waydale Jones and Atorian Perry are reserves who really haven't been able to show what they can do, but they feel like they're coming. And they've got two four-stars that were early enrollees with Donovan Green and Nolan Gruel. And, you know, they're they're in that category of probably going to redshirt, but if they're good enough, they'll play. By the by, the way, I was today years old when I found out that Sage Surratt is brother of Chaz Surratt over at UNC. <laughs> Who knew? Um, Connor, let's talk about the defense here. Um, and and we mentioned earlier in the podcast that um, that's where really the, the coaching kind of shifting has happened on the Wake Forest staff. So uh, it was during the year last year, as the after the first month or so of the year that Jay Sauvel was fired as defensive coordinator. He had he had been leading the defense for a little over a year after Mike Elko was hired away um, by Notre Dame, and it, it had pretty quickly gotten bad on uh, on Sobel's watch. Um, it was what used to be a really, really stout defensive unit under Elko pretty quickly became a, a weakness or a liability. With him gone, Lyle Hemphill and Dave Cohen take over as co-coordinators, and, and we pretty quickly started to see some improvement. Um, and as such, they are both kind of in their own way now in charge of the defense, I guess. But I'll let you kind of talk through the uh, the technicalities there and I guess what the responsibilities are and what we expect to see moving forward. Yeah, so it's it's technically it's, it's Hemphill as the defensive coordinator and it's his defense. Um, Dave Cohen goes back to coaching the defensive line. That's something he's done throughout Boston's entire weight tenure. Um, and he's also now the assistant coach for the defense. I'll be honest. I don't really know what that means. I don't know if it's, you know, one of the, one of the Dwight Schrute's assistant to the regional manager, you know, amazing. Just, (laughs) there's so many titles, but basically what we know is this Lyle Hempel system, um, the only new coach to the defensive staff, to the, to the entire coaching staff, is Tyler Santucci, who's a linebackers coach. Um, Wake now has two linebackers coaches. Why would I, why would I say that? With Brad Sherrod, who's been there for a few years, and Tyler Santucci's new to the staff. Um, so it's it's Hemphill's system. Hemphill, uh, they're going to run a four-two-five. It will be, they'll still have the rover position, is my understanding. But in the past, that position has been more of a, see if I can get this right, uh, more of a safety and a linebacker body. And that'll shift to more of a linebacker and a safety body. Or or even a safety, just, just put three safeties on the field. Um, you know, it's something that'll play out in fall camp. Uh, we get to watch, or, or I get to watch uh, about 20 practices in fall camp. I'm sure it'll play out to where I have a better understanding. But, yeah, it's basically a, a 4 2 five. 
Um, last year they had to get really creative because, you know, you fire a defensive coordinator four games into your season and two weeks later you've got to play Clemson. And, you know, that's, that's no joke. So now that they've had a full spring, now that they've had a full summer, now that they'll have a full fall camp, you know, they're, they're looking for the defense to be back to where it was, you know, three, four years ago, asking it to be back where it was when you had one of the best defensive coordinators in college football and Mike Elko might be a little bit of a tough task, but that's where they want to be. Yeah, and Connor, I have the the stats in front of me, 101st nationally last year in scoring defense, 93rd in rushing defense, 117 in passing and 116 total. But, you know, the defense did improve as the year went on, but you know, as you kind of outlined, injuries were a factor. And what has Wake Forest done leading up to this year to ensure that, you know, it, at least try to ensure that they'll be more healthy on the defensive side of the football? Because towards the end of last season, they they got a little bit healthier and they started to play a little bit better. Have they taken any steps um, moving into this season to kind of make sure that they're in a better a better state heading into the year? Yeah, so they, they definitely have. Um you know, last year during the season, uh, Lawson constantly referenced, you know, the, this is a level of injuries that he had seen once in 20 years of coaching. And then it, it became, I've never seen this level of it. Like, I've never been around a team that has been this banged up. And in the past six months, they haven't just sat around and said, okay, well, our luck was awful last year. There's no way it's going to be awful again this year. We can still do the same stuff. They've revamped the way they're approaching training camp. They revamped the way they approach the summer workouts. Um, and and some of those injuries did carry over into spring. Um, they, they lost some players in spring ball that, you know, they, I think – at one point in spring ball, they were down to two scholarship safeties available and I think three scholarship linebackers available. So they've definitely looked at it, looked at the data of it, looked at when these injuries occurred, how they occurred, what injuries they were, and and they've revamped the way they, they approach workouts, practices, uh, dead time to to address and, and try to limit the, the probability that the same thing happens again. Connor, let's move on and take a look at the schedule here. Um, so Wake has, has done a really good job over the last couple of years of maintaining win totals, even again with some coaching turnover and a new quarterback situation last year and all this stuff. And so really trying to find a path here to, you know, whether or not they can, again, continue to maintain bowl eligibility, the minimum every year um, out of conference games. And, and this is not a typo. I promise you, Utah state at rice, North Carolina and Elon um, wake forest and North Carolina playing a non-conference game will never not be weird to me. Yeah, it, it does look weird. I, it doesn't look weird to me anymore, but I've been looking at it for two years, so it's just kind of become something that doesn't stick out to me anymore. I'm sure it will stick out when I'm writing stories about it when that week comes. Um, That'll be a Thursday night game, too. be a Friday night game. Wake, Wake opens with three Friday night games to, to start the U.S., three straight Friday nights. Uh, I mean, they're going to be on a high school schedule. Well, that's really bizarre. It's yeah, it's not great, uh, especially when you still work at a newspaper that covers high school sports and, <laughs> and high school football. <laughs> you know, it's I'm I'm kind of looking forward to that uh, fourth game when we actually get to play on a Saturday. <laughs> what a, what a treat! <laughs> college football team yeah. playing on a Saturday. <laughs> yeah. so I, you know, I won't complain about having those first three Saturdays to sit back and, and watch games all day. I'm sure that will not be a bad thing. But, That's a good point. But yeah, uh, U- 
Utah State comes in off. You know, I meant to look this up the other day, and I forgot to. They were either ten and three or eleven and two last year. I think it was eleven and two. Um, but they they lost basically everything except their quarterback. They they lost their big time running back. They lost a couple receivers. They lost. I think they had a. I think they had a really good tight end that left. I might be mistaken there. And they lose Matt Wells to Texas Tech, the coach. So it'll be the Jordan Love show on August 30th, and that's that's a big game for Wake. Uh, Utah State, I believe, finished the season ranked last year. Like I said, 11-win season. Um, that's a big one. The trip to Rice, there's, there's not much appeal with that one. Uh, Rice came to Winston last year, and that team that I saw probably was the worst team I saw all year, and Wake did play an FCS team last year too, so that tells you something. As a Houston resident, I can promise you playing in Houston in early September is not anything that anybody wants any part of. Wear the white jerseys, not the black ones. <laughs> Do not wear the black jerseys for that one. <laughs> That's uh, I'll, I'll be sure to pass that along. <laughs> um, but then, yeah, the, that third game of the year, the Friday night against North Carolina, um, you know, I think that's the one that will tell us a lot about Wake Forest. Uh, North Carolina last year, I did not think that was a bad team. I just thought that was a team that had bad quarterback play. Um, that's probably fair. And, you know, that, that's – that's a game that means a lot to a lot of people at Wake Forest. Um, probably more than they will ever say on record, but you've, you've got the fact that it's an in-state rival. You've got the fact that they haven't played them in four years. You've got the fact that uh, it's the first of three home games against big four teams, which is... Uh, the last time that happened for Wake Forest was 1921, when the school was actually in Wake Forest, North Carolina. Uh, and UNC has two of the publicly disciplined Wakey Leaks offenders. Yes. They've got, they've got co-defensive coordinator Jay Bateman, and they've got, who uh, was, was at Army at the time, and... They've got the who, who I think of um, as the the main culprit, other than than Tommy Elrod, but Lonnie Galloway was the inside contact at Louisville, and he was a former Wake assistant coach, and he's hired at North Carolina in uh, February, I believe. So. Two Wakey Leaks coaches showing up on the same coaching staff and coming to Winston-Salem is something I did not expect to happen. I'm so here for this. I'm so ready for it. <laughs> Connor, we can look through the, the conference schedule here, um, starting in late September at Boston College, and then a week off, and then Louisville, Florida State, NC State, all at home. Um, a little bit of extra rest between Florida State and NC State, too. And then a trip to Blacksburg, a trip to Clemson, Duke at home, and then a trip to the Carrier Dome in Syracuse. You know, as we talk about can this team hit like six to seven wins, honestly, I think the schedule sets up pretty favorably to do that. You know, you, you play the toughest games, probably the toughest two games on the schedule are being played on the road, but that means that your winnable games are at home. And, and I mean, I could see them at least going three and one, if not four and oh, out of conference. And then you know, getting Louisville at home, getting Duke at home, um, even like NC State, Florida State, those are winnable games. NC State, you know, Wake has beaten two years in a row. So I think from that standpoint, it sets up pretty favorably for Wake Forest to win like six or seven games here. Yeah, it does. Um, and even, you know, I, I don't know this number better in two months, but uh, I think it's like, the last five or six years in a row, the road team in the Wake Forest Boston College game has won. Um, you know, and the, and the most famous of that is the 
the three nothing game in Clawson's second season up there. Don't remind me. As a VT alum, don't remind me. <laughs> <laughs> so, so yeah, it, it is a it is a favorable schedule. Um, you know where where I think they would worry is if you're sitting there with five wins. And then you've got to go to Blacksburg and to Clemson in back-to-back weeks if you're just going to get pummeled in those games and not have anything left in the tank or, or have a decimated roster when you play Duke and Syracuse to end the season and you're looking for that sixth win to, to punch your ticket. But I think that's on the side of the more unlikely scenarios. I think, like you said, um, Three and one non-conference should be the, that should be the floor, uh, honestly. Where for where this program wants to be and for where they see themselves, that should be the floor. Um, and then yeah, you you've got a whole serve at home. You've gotten NC State's number the last two years. Uh, I mean they've they've beaten an NC State team the last two years that on paper, was a lot better than the team that they're going to play this year. Um, Florida State is, is to me, a really interesting one because, you know, Clawson in five years has never beaten Florida State or Clemson. I don't think they're winning in Death Valley in the middle of November. Maybe that's just me. <laughs> it's not just, you. Not, not just you. Not just you. Definitely not just you. <laughs> Florida State, uh, maybe not as much last year. Last year, Wake showed up to Florida State pretty banged up and and didn't have much. Uh, Brian Burns just terrorized Sam Hartman in that game. But two years ago, they really felt like they should have beat Florida State. Uh, a James Blackman touchdown pass in the final minute. Beat them. That's, that's one that I think will be targeted along with that North Carolina game as these are the ones that we we really need to get to kind of prove that we are taking that next step and we are kind of establishing ourselves as more than, you know, just this fourth, fifth, or sixth place finishing team in the Atlantic that can go to some weird Tennessee or Maryland or Georgia bowl game or wherever the destination would be. Um, you know, they're trying to get above that, and, and to do that, you've got to beat a Florida State when they've got a second-year coach and when their offensive line is still pretty horrendous. Maybe maybe I'm crazy. I think Wake Forest could win eight games with a schedule, and I, I don't I, – I get that that's at the high end, but there's so much uncertainty in the ACC as a whole this year. I just look at this schedule – you know, Connor, like you mentioned, Joey, you allude to this already. I think three and one is the floor in non-conference. I think they can certainly get to four and zero. Oh. A lot of people seem to be high on on North Carolina winning five, maybe six games this year. I just don't. I don't see it. Um, Utah State, Connor, as you mentioned, loses a ton. Rice is one of the worst teams in college football, and Elon's an FCS team. So I think you can certainly go four and zero oh in that stretch, and then. Sure, going on the road to Boston College in late September, that is certainly a tough game um, because Boston College, they're well-coached and they should be pretty decent. But that's a winnable game. Louisville, it's a year zero situation under Satterfield. That's a total tear, you know, tear down, rebuild situation. Uh, Florida State, yeah, that's an interesting game because Florida State, while they have all the talent in the world, they have so many different question marks, primarily on the offensive line. There's no guarantee that they're still going to be able to block anybody, um, even if they do maybe have quarterback figured out now that James Blackman is going to be the guy moving forward. Um, NC State, Wake Forest has their number, and NC State's been more talented the last two years when Wake, when Wake Forest has played them. I think that's a winnable game. On the road to Virginia Tech, Virginia Tech had one of the worst defenses in college football last year, um, at least against the run. They were atrocious, and Wake Forest's strengths on the ground. So that's a tough game in November. That's a game they can certainly win um, at Clemson. That's that's a surefire loss. But then Duke and Syracuse to finish off the year. I mean, yeah, you got to go to the Carrier Dome. Yeah, Syracuse's offense should be pretty good, but 
you know, Wake Forest plays Syracuse tough. I think it's a game that Wake Forest can certainly win, and I'm not putting Duke past them either, obviously. So there are a lot of winnable games on the schedule for Wake Forest because there's so much uncertainty. And, and Wake Forest is one of those teams for me that I think a lot of people in the Atlantic are sleeping on. I mean, obviously Clemson's going to run away with the division, but if you're looking for a team to compete for the second spot, I haven't heard Wake Forest come up all too often. I think Wake Forest is one of those teams that can certainly sneak up and and contend for second place in that division. Yeah, and, you know, it, Syracuse seems like the the pick by default for that number two spot behind Clemson in the Atlantic, and I buy that because of their defense. I love their defensive ends with Pullman and Robinson, but, you know, they're replacing a quarterback who – I voted I had Eric Dungy as my first team all ACC quarterback. I thought he meant that much to that team and was that dynamic last year. You're replacing him with a guy that obviously has the experience. Tommy DeVito didn't just sit on the bench and come in and throw three passes in blowouts. I mean he he's got he's got some game experience to him, but uh he doesn't have nearly the experience that both of the quarterbacks Wake has have. Um you know, Jamie Newman led a, a 17-point comeback on the road in Raleigh uh, and threw a game-winning touchdown pass with 33 seconds left. Um, Sam Hartman threw for, let me try to get this right, about 380 yards in his first college start last year. You know, these, these two guys, either one of them can take Wake Carr and and the reality is, and, and this is something we haven't mentioned yet, is Wake is going to need both of them in all likelihood this year. Boston has never made it through a season with just one quarterback. Even the John Walford senior year, uh, Kendall Hinton started it at Clemson and had something like 320 total yards. So it's it does line up. Um, to where if Wake can stay healthy and if Wake can get the the right questions answered on defense and find those couple replacements that they need on offense, they can they can be looking at eight and and start thinking about more than that. Connor, do you have an official record prediction? And say seven and five. Um, you know, I, I think this is a team that, that certainly can go out and, and grab an eight or nine win season. I just I also think that you know playing in the in the ACC Atlantic, it's it's just no joke. And really, other than Louisville, every game can be a loss. I, I think, um, yeah, I I hear what you're Louisville saying. Team might one game they decide to show up or the one game you get real fired up for and it could be your game that's true <laughs> yeah i can't really put anything past them um i, I have no idea what they're going to be on a week-to-week basis this year um connor i think i'm with you and the, and the thing that sticks out to me that i think about as we say yeah i mean this could be like a seven eight plus win team is dave Kloss in the last three years with wake forest in conference three and five four and four three and five um, so it seems like Wake basically so far from what we've seen has topped out at 500 in conference. And if you do that and you win all your out of conference games, I mean, that's eight and four, but I, I mean, that three and five number seems like it's been a little bit more consistent. Um, there's, there's enough teams on this schedule that will have more talent than Wake. I don't know that Wake is doing a ton of winning games by being more talented, but they do seem better coached and, and oftentimes, you know, using a lot of upperclassmen guys that you can really trust that are physically mature so far, you know, so basically I guess my thought here, yeah, is I think that they go seven and five, um, maybe eight and four if everything kind of breaks right. But, um, you know, playing in, in a pretty top to bottom, a pretty tough division and a division where there's a lot, you know, most of these teams tend to have more talent than they have. I mean, to continue rattling off six and seven win seasons and, Again, kind of keeping your your head above water and maintaining bowl eligibility. I mean, that's I, I think that's pretty uh, yeah, pretty impressive and, and pretty commendable. So um, I'm going to go seven and five. It sounds like you're going seven and five, uh, Mike. Where are you at? 
Yeah, I'm going to say eight and four, even though I should go seven and five with a safe pick. But I think this will be the one team I'll reach on and say eight and four, which means I'll probably have to go back and amend that NC State preview we did and say that they're going to go seven and five because <laughs> I called them to be eight and four as well. Mike's feeling dangerous. I am feeling a little dangerous here. Yeah, we'll have to see. It'll be interesting kind of watching as this team, and it is, I guess the way that the schedule is structured and the games that they get at home versus have to go on the road for. Um, Wake, it seems like they tend to be pretty pretty consistent week to week in what they're going to give you. And again, that's, I think, the sign of a well-coached team. So no no shame in 7-5, and five, and especially knowing what Wake Forest has been historically, Connor. Yeah, and 7-5, and five, uh, it's probably too soon to go back to the Belt Bowl, but you might be going back to the Military Bowl. And, you know, that was – that's – they were six and six at gets in the military bowl, but I, I kind of look at the military bowl as a jumping off point because the ones that got them there um, were not all that impressive. And they had, this was back in 2016. Uh, they had lost five of six games going into the military bowl. So beating a ranked temple team in Annapolis really is what I look at as the, the jumping off point of what the last two years have been for wake. Absolutely. Mike, I think that's all I got for Connor. You got anything else for him while we got him? No, I think we're all set. But Connor, we appreciate you joining us, obviously, and, and jumping on. I, this is this has been one of our best previews so far, I would say. Well, great, great. I'm, uh, I'm happy to hear it. Happy to oblige. Absolutely. Thanks so much for coming on. There's been a lot of really great insights here. Uh, we'd love to have you back on sometime. You want to um, tell the people where they can find your stuff? Yeah, so um, we're at uh... – wsjournal.com um that's gonna sound really bad it's journalnow.com i think i think ws journal or wsj might actually put you at the wall street journal so journalnow.com um and click on the little sports tab and and wake wfu i think is the way it's labeled on the tab but uh, if you follow me on twitter it's connor o'neill wsj uh, no underscores or capitals in there, and um, I'm pretty pretty feverish with putting my stuff out there on Twitter pretty quickly. Yeah, I'm not going to lie. The first time I saw your Twitter handle, I, I started to think that the Wall Street Journal had a beat writer for Wake Forest football somehow, and I had a lot of questions. That'd be a curveball. <laughs> well, yeah, con- you know, you're not the first person that told me that, so maybe I need to change that. <laughs> Or don't. I mean, that's that's a pretty respectable publication. Yeah, yeah, that's true. I just, you know, uh, the the business side of sports and, and that kind of stuff is not really my forte. I'd much rather sit down with a kid for 30 minutes and get to know him and then write you a feature than sit down with a bunch of numbers crunching and Wall Street journalist type stuff. <laughs> Well, really, really appreciate you coming on with us. And again, all these great insights. Um, we'd love to have you back on sometime to kind of uh, get a little update during the season on how Wake Force is doing. Sure. Um, I'm available. All right. That sounds well, good. I'm available on Saturdays in September, you know. <laughs> <laughs> in between all the non-Wake football games. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. All right. Well, Connor, thanks so much for, uh, for coming on. Thanks for all your insights. And uh, look forward to having you back on sometime soon. Appreciate it, Connor. All right, Mike, that is Connor O'Neill with the Winston-Salem Journal, not the Wall Street Journal. So uh, go find him in the Wake Forest beat. A lot of really good insights there. Um, really interesting kind of hearing his take on the Wake Forest program. And one of them one of them that I think is a little bit extra interesting among ACC teams, not just this year, but every year. So uh, really great having him on. Uh, we got to get out of here. We got to go preview some more teams. But, Mike, in the meantime, they find us on Twitter – I'm at FTRS Joey. He is at Mike McDaniel CFB. Together we're at BC Podcast ACC. And once again, Connor O'Neill is at Connor O'Neill WSJ, all one word on Twitter. Uh, Go find him for all your Wake Forest coverage. Uh, You can find us on iTunes, Google Play, uh, Stitcher, Breaker, Sound, uh, no, not SoundCloud anymore. (laughs) Joke's on me. Not anymore. Uh, Spotify, um, Lots of places. Anchor, go find us all those places and, and subscribe and, and like and rate and review us and all those good things. Um, 
Mike, they can send their questions, comments, concerns to the longest email address known to man, basketball conference podcast at gmail.com. Nailed it. We, we do have a few uh, listener questions there in the hopper. So uh, send a few more. We might do a whole show on listener questions or certainly a major segment sometime soon. So that'd be cool. Uh, please keep those coming. Yeah. If you want us to train your kids in basketball or other sports, we will, we'll do that, but there is no money back guarantee. That's, that is a basketball conference pod, uh, podcast yeah. promise. And I can promise you if we're giving them basketball training, um, that's <laughs> not good. We might be the ones actually getting the training, depending on how good your kid is. I don't know. Right. I mean, at the end of the day, we might be the ones getting paid and you might be the father of a kid who's not very good at basketball at the end of the day. So <laughs> keep firing over those requests. We'll happily jump on that. There is no money back guarantee for sure. Um, Mike, you want to tell them they can find us on the social medias? Yeah, Facebook. Facebook.com slash basketball conference rate review. Find all of our podcasts there, Jack. Please do. Please do. And hopefully you guys are enjoying the new logo and uh, all the other cool features we got coming with the podcast here recently. But uh, Mike, that's all I got. You got anything else? I think we're good, man. By the way, be- before we go, and I-, I meant to mention this earlier, I got the Vegas win total for Wake Forest. Yeah, I was about to ask what that was. I didn't know if you had that handy when we were talking to Connor. I got it at five and a half. Uh, over. I would bet the over on that. Is yeah. that a trap? That seems like a trap. Maybe. Over is also minus 140. So you're not getting a lot of good I juice on that. But um, yeah, five and a half is the total. So take a look at that if you get the opportunity to, especially if it moves to six and you get a little more juice on the over. Um, you, I feel like it, at worst you're looking at a push on that. I don't think Wake Forest is winning less than six games this year. So nope. um, keep an eye on that. Uh, Mike, anything else before we get out of here? I think we're good, man. I think so. You want to come back and preview some more teams? Like I've been saying, we got to. We got no choice. You're not my supervisor. You can't tell me what to do. But yes, That's we, true. Yes, we, we... Assistant, assistant to the supervisor. <laughs> there you go. I see what you did there. All right. Thank well, you. whether or not we have to, we will be coming back to preview some more teams. So uh, in the meantime, until next time, for Mr. Mike McDaniel uh, and for Mr. Connor O'Neill, I am Joey Weaver. Thank you guys so much for listening. We'll talk to you again soon. And until then, go ACC. Keep me down